tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 John 2, 1 through 6. And I'm going to be reading all of the verses tonight from the ESV or the English Standard Version. Um, So here in 1 John, um, starting in chapter 2, the Apostle John says this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the appropriation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 3 again. And by this we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. As Christ's followers, we are called to a life of obedience. To walk in obedience means that we are giving God our full devotion, trusting that his instructions are for our good. To walk in obedience means we are giving God our full devotion, trusting that his instructions are for our good. Therefore, we should strive to follow those instructions that are shown in the Bible and shared with us through the Holy Spirit. Now, what oftentimes causes us to stray away from walking in obedience is sin. A lot of times we don't want to talk about or even think about our sins uh, because it doesn't make us feel good. It makes us feel raw, uncomfortable, ashamed, exposed. And many of us have truly been significantly hurt by our sins or by the sins of others. Uh, So I know that sin is not the most attractive of topics, but it is referenced in the Bible hundreds of times from Genesis to Revelation and is a primary topic um, that we need to address as Christ's followers. So we talk about sin tonight because it is what Christ atoned for on the cross. And we're talking about sin tonight because we need to know the truth about what the Bible says about sin And we're talking about sin because we are called to grow in our relationship with God and to be more Christ-like. Now, the Bible, it consists of 66 books written by some 40 authors over a time period of 1,600 years. And the beauty of it is there are no errors. There are no discrepancies. Everything in there is fully true, fully accurate, and fully reliable. Everything from that first page to the last speaks of God's love for his creation, a creation that is sinful. Now, the Bible describes sin in this way, as gone astray, turning away from God, lawlessness, and wrongdoing. Looking at that terminology of sin, uh, based on the Greek uh, root word, many scholars say that the best way to describe sin is missing the mark. So sin is when we think, say, or do something that is not in accordance with the instructions in the Bible and the lifestyle that God has called us to. 
Now, we often call sin by many different names. We'll say a struggle, a mistake, an accident, a fault, an error, a conflict, a weakness. Well, no matter the wording that you use or your feelings about your own sin or the sin of others, sin equals disobedience to God. Sin equals disobedience to God. So now why do we have to even deal with sin? I would rather we didn't have to, okay? Um, But we do. Uh, Sin originated, as most of us know, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And in their story, we directly and clearly see that sin equals disobedience. Uh, So looking at Genesis 2, uh, starting at verse 16, we see here is the specific instructions that God gave to Adam and Eve. And he tells them this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may truly eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then we see further, looking at chapter 3, verse 6, it speaks of the disobedience of Adam and Eve not following that direct instruction from God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So God created man in his image. After this first act of sin, though, man knows both good and evil. Therefore, sin, or the disobedience to God's commands, enters the world. And we are told in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is our reality. We are born into sin, and we have a sinful nature. Yet, and really big like yet here, the Bible says not to make a practice of sinning, to rule over sin. The Bible says not to let sin control us and to put to death what is earthly inside of us. So I take a big note here that we're never going to experience perfection. That can seem very heavy for us when we're told that we're sinful and yet we're told not to practice um, sin. So we're never going to experience perfection. No one can actually master everything that's in the Bible, which is why God sent Jesus. But we can constantly walk in the direction to perfection. And of course, perfection being God. So we are never going to experience perfection, but we can constantly walk in the direction to perfection. And the reason why God wants us to avoid sin is because it separates us from him. And we see in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God knows that when we sin, it wounds and corrupts us. It destroys lives, it tears families apart, it distorts the truth, and it brings about ugly consequences. When we sin, we're hurting God. We are definitely hurting ourselves and hurting other people. For sin, it breaks trust. It defiles a person. It causes shame and guilt. It creates trouble. It spreads evil and wickedness. And it harms our body, our mind, and our emotions. So God is protecting us. God is protecting us when he asks us not to sin. 
He's teaching us how to conduct ourselves and equipping us for the work of loving people and spreading the gospel. God isn't trying to control you, tell you what to do, or take away your fun as I thought when I was little, okay? He's being the best kind of parent. He wants to mold and to grow us into ambassadors for him. We need that. We need to be ambassadors and and, uh, representatives for Christ. We need some people on the front line going out there really spreading uh, the word and and, um, showing truth. And so he's taking care of us in that nature. He wants us to be filled with those fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So when I tell my high school students to avoid staying up late at night, I'm teaching them the value of caring for their bodies. And when I tell my students not to take or sell drugs, and these are all true stories, okay, I'm challenging them to make wise decisions. And when I tell them to get off the desk and not to climb on things, I'm protecting them from an injury. And when I tell them that their comment was rude and they need to apologize, I'm equipping them to know how to be kind to other people. And God works in a similar way. He's the teacher. He's the best mom. He's that mentor for us. Now, because of sin, God sent a savior. And this is truly the good news. Um, We can place our hope and we can place our faith and our trust in him. Because Christ's death and resurrection were fulfilled so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and that intimate relationship with him. Okay, big emphasis on that intimate, personal, one-on-one relationship with him. Now, salvation is given out of love and grace and God's just nature. It has no relation to our behaviors or our merits. And we've seen Romans 10 9 through 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. However, upon salvation, we are to keep his commands. Upon salvation, we are to keep his commands. Author Simon Chan said it like this. Thus, when we confess that we are saved by grace, we are in fact saying that sin lies so deeply within us that we can never change ourselves simply by doing what is good. Only God can change us. And that change is a favor which we do not deserve at all. The more aware a sinner is of his sin, the more he will appreciate the grace of God when he believes. If we know how great our sin is, when we receive forgiveness, we will love God more and show it by our actions. We will love God more and show it by our actions. So heaven does truly rejoice when a person accepts Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But our relationship with him does not stop there. What we see oftentimes is that's that's it for some people. I accepted him. I believe in him. There's more. There's acceptance and application. There's acceptance and application to his truths, to his instructions. Now, we know that sin is here. 
And we know that we all sin, that we're called not to participate in. And we've all heard the sermon many times telling us of Jesus' walk and time on the cross and the pain and agony he went through. So why do we still participate in sin? Because we all do it, okay? Everybody, including me, we all do it, okay? Yes! Um, Why? Why do we still do it? We know all those things. Well, in part, as we have discussed... We are born sinful. That's our nature. Jesus even said it to the disciples. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who has had a moment of weak flesh? Okay? We also sin because we succumb to temptation. Okay? Oh, temptation. Uh, That desire to do something, especially something that's very wrong, something that we're not supposed to do. And I think that James in the Bible sums up temptation in, in the best way. A person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by desire. Then that desire gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation in itself isn't the sin part. The issue is when we do something against God because of the temptation. And the devil tempts. He's very crafty. He's very, uh, you know, uses a lot of tactics. um, But he does not force us. Okay, you make the ultimate decision. We make the ultimate decision of what we do every day, what we allow to come out of our mouths. Um, And temptation oftentimes comes from other people, and it comes from our own selves. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, not only do we sin because of temptation, there's some other reasons that will lure us in. So as I I read this list, let's pay attention if any of them apply to you. We sin because we're uninformed, as in we don't know what the Bible says. We don't acknowledge the importance of obeying God. We allow ourselves to be around the wrong people or situation. We sin to cope with an intense emotion or experience. Anybody been there? We sin because we want a quick fix. We sin because we look at the world more than we do at the word. We sin because we're selfish and we like self-gratification. As many um, people have said, you know, sin feels good. It has that momentary, like, attraction. And this one really, really hits me hard. We sin because we try to find fulfillment that can only come from God. We sin because we try to find fulfillment that can only come from God. Sin only provides momentary fulfillment. We should hold on to God, not our sin. And one of our biggest defenses in overcoming sin is to legitimately ask ourselves questions like this. In what way am I not obeying God? Why is it that I haven't fully surrendered to him? Why am I sinning in this way? Now we look at some specific parts, okay? This is the part that might not feel good. Um, I can't just say avoid sin because everyone can still interpret sin in their own specific way. 
So we are going to look at specific sins that the Bible says that we should not participate in. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list, so I'm going to encourage everybody to do your own further study, and I, uh, you know, make a huge public service announcement. This isn't an Amanda. This is God, okay? The verses are up on the screen so you can see that I, I pulled this from the Word. And as I'm reading this list of some of the specific sins addressed in the Bible— I want you to see what is it that um, God is highlighting that you need to address. So what is something God is highlighting that you need to address? So I'll read it. Um, Evil thoughts, evil desires or lust, sexual immorality, adultery, lewdness, orgies, prostitution, homosexuality, theft, murder, Greed, idolatry, malice, deceit, envy, slander, arrogance, insolence, folly, drunkenness, swindling, impurity, debauchery, depravity, witchcraft, hatred or hating God, discord, dissensions, strife, factions, Jealousy, anger, rage, selfish ambition or pride, gossip, filthy language, lying, boasting, disobedience, senselessness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness, and being judgmental. What is something God's highlighting that you need to address? Tell me about it a whole lot. Listen, I'm going to be the first to like raise my hand. I have a lot that I need to improve on. So if you're not where you want to be, as in you're disappointed or you feel some sort of emotion to that list, and that's not even all the things that God has called us to avoid, then I don't, I want us to take it seriously. I want us to have a, like a moment of woe. That's heavy. This is intense. This is serious. Uh, But I don't want us to stay there. I don't want us to stay in the pit. I don't want us to stay feeling like a failure. I don't want us to say, like, well, what's the point? Like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't want us to stay there. I want us to say, you know what? Enough is enough. Like, I'm just going to surrender to him. I'm just going to serve him in obedience. And I'm going to make progress every single day as I walk with him. And there are several ways that we can identify the sin in our lives, that we can prevent it, and that we can overcome it. Because I'll be the first to admit, it is challenging, very difficult to deal with sin in our lives. It has a strong pull on us because like God, like Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So one of the first uh, ways that we can deal with sin is to know what the Bible says. I mean, that's invaluable. Um, We should make it a regular practice to read the word of God for understanding and application. And when we are dealing with whatever it may be. It doesn't even have to be sin. You're stressed out at work or you're nervous about something. I pull up my Bible app and I search whatever word it is that I need to have encouragement for that day. Um, We should make it a regular practice to read the word of God for understanding and for application because it is the best advice book. It is the how-to guide. Um, As uh, Psalms 119, 9 through 11 says, 
How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. I want this to be my prayer. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In addition to knowing the Bible, we should communicate on a regular basis with God and allow the Holy Spirit to help. Communicate with God on a regular basis and allow the Holy Spirit to help. Prayer is powerful. It changes things. God should be our number one, which means we're constantly talking to him as much as we're talking to our number one person um, on this earth. And the Holy Spirit, it leads, it guides us, it's our advocate, it brings about conviction, which is hopefully what is stirring you up about things in your life that you need to to honestly address. We should actively seek God and the Holy Spirit in relation to sin, but in relation to anything in our lives. Um, As 1 Peter 3.12 puts it, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. His ears are open to our prayers when we call out to him. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How else do we identify, prevent, and overcome sin? Evaluate your internal and your external behaviors. Um, Sometimes messed up stuff is going on in here that nobody can see, and so oftentimes that's the last thing that we address. Or we completely just put it uh, to the side. And oftentimes I, okay, this is Amanda, I oftentimes feel that we have a predisposition to a certain type of sin. As in there is um, a certain thing that appeals to us or draws to us more than others. And that can be specifically uh, seen for believers who have served God for large chunks of their life. Uh, There may be nothing that we falter in, but one or two things that just continually occur, continually pull at us, continually show up. Um, And those are the things that we can exclude that we need to give over to God and surrender to him. And this was David's prayer in Psalms 139, 23 through 24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is something serious that we need uh, to do. Sometimes we just come to the Lord. Well, forgive me for anything I did wrong. Okay? Okay, great. Okay, I didn't, oh, sorry. I kind of gave somebody attitude. Forgive me for all of it. And the sin keeps coming up over and over again because we're not actually changing anything. We're coming to him again asking for forgiveness or saying sorry, but nothing actually changed. And we'll just be there again in another week saying sorry about the exact same thing. So try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Another way is to seek the counsel of trusted confidants. And I cannot say enough emphasis about it being a trusted confidant, okay? Because sin is a real 
it's a, it's a big deal, okay? We don't need to play lightly with sin, and we don't need to just be randomly telling everybody our business about the thing that we're really, really struggling with. Uh, so we're going to seek the counsel of trusted confidants because they are going to be there to encourage and support you, uh, to pray with you. They may see a behavior you're exhibiting that you do not see. And my mom and my brother, my best friend, those are people for me. I've given them permission, and they've taken it. Mom, I see you over there. And they've taken it and they to tell me if they see me sinning. If y'all know my brother, oh, he'll just... He'll tell you. Um, Oftentimes, here's the thing. When we openly address a sin or when we openly address anything, it loses lots of its power over us. Like a lot of its power over us when we don't let it sit in the darkness anymore. And James 5.16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And finally, the last thing we're going to address for how to identify, prevent, and overcome sin. And this is a biggie. This is the one that I'm most working on right now. Prioritizing self-control. Prioritize self-control. And that might not even be about sin. Maybe you just need to hear this about something else, and that's okay. Uh, We want to discipline ourselves and mature in all regards. In regards to our faith, our trust, our prayer time, the way that we worship, reading of the word, and obedience to his instructions. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says it like this. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. That's a big word, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us for all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's where I want us to be. I want us to be zealous for good works. But a thing that can hold us back from being zealous for good works and really sharing the gospel and loving people correctly is if we are holding on or living into some sort of sin. Pastor David Jeremiah said it, this way. And I love this. He says, self-control is not only about the things we don't do that could destroy us if we do them. Self-control is about the things we should do that if we did, we would prosper greatly. Self-control involves making everyday decisions as well as long-term goals. You deny yourself an immediate indulgence to accomplish a higher level goal. Self-control means saying no when you want to say yes. It means saying enough when you want to say more. It means saying enough when you want to say more. It means I won't when I rather say I will. It's thinking before we act and controlling our appetites, our tongues, our tempers, our thoughts, our eyes. Self-control for the Christian is a make or break discipline. It is the difference between success and failure if you want to live a godly life. Sin becomes less prevalent in our lives as we practice obedience, self-control, and discipline, which creates then maturity in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. 
So sin is becoming less prevalent in our lives when we practice obedience, when we practice self-control, and discipline. We train ourselves to sin less, just like we train ourselves in anything else. So I went and I still go through training to be an effective high school English teacher. And I'm sure many of you have gone through some sort of training of a variety of natures. Um, Let's look at an athlete. So an athlete uses a playbook. We have the Bible. And an athlete learns with the coach. We have pastors and teachers. An athlete works well with his teammates We have fellow believers. Ooh, I'm thankful for that. Um, An athlete spends hours eating right and being physically active. Well, we have prayer and we have worship. And think of a child. My little niece, Mila, who already had to go home because she was tired, is one. And those of you who know me on a personal level know I have to talk about her at any given point that I can. Uh, She grows and matures in the food that she's given the rest she gets during her naps, the puzzles that she's playing now, and the walks that she takes while holding Grammy's hand. Mila allows and needs mama and dada to take care of her. We can allow our father to take care of us because we need spiritual development. We need development just like she does. The Bible's our food. Prayer and worship are our rest discussing and sharing our faith, our activities for growth. Now remember that the only cure for sin is Christ's redemption. When we sin, we communicate with him, we ask for forgiveness, and, big and here, we turn from that sin. Okay, don't stay in the just forgiveness part every other day. Turn a walk away from that sin. We shouldn't try to cover up the sin, justify it, be oblivious to it. Or what a lot of us like to do is look at the sins of others. Oh, well, I'm not as bad as her. Okay, I'm okay. Uh, for, for God does not rank sins like we do. To him, any standard that we don't follow is still sin. Um, so we don't want to like discount or downplay our sin. And we also don't want to like magnifier like over focus on it because I've been in both of those places I've allowed myself to do that instead of allowing God to do a working in my heart and actually alter my behaviors now the consequences of our sins might look different but we have gone against God regardless of the classification that we place on the sin that we're partaking on and I have to say here that you are holding on to false assurance If you think that you can just continue to sin because God is so merciful and just to forgive. You're missing the whole point. God knows we are sinful beings, but that doesn't mean we should continue to knowingly or habitually sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Man, am I thankful for that. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Staying away from sin requires effort on your part. It requires effort on my part. It's your responsibility to take care of your relationship with God. It's my responsibility to take care of my relationship with God. So here's my example now for all of you. I can, I can be sassy. I'm prone to give attitude. 
Maybe you haven't gotten to experience. Good for you if you have not. Okay. As my mom puts it, I have been a backwards child um, in that I was a really easy teenager, but I was a very difficult young adult. Sorry, mom. So for most of my early 20s, I did wrong by my parents in sinning and not honoring them. Now, when I started, I knew the commandment, honor your mother and father. Pastor Pam told us that repeatedly in children's church, honor your mother and father. But it did not really resonate with me that my rude and sarcastic comments were sinful and that it was hurting my relationship with my parents. It was just something that I had memorized, something that I knew as like the Ten Commandments, but I wasn't actually living it out. Um, My mom would say something like, Amanda, be careful, don't get home too late. Um, Or my dad would say something like, baby, don't eat out so much because you need to save money. And my grown 21, 22-year-old self was like, I know everything. What are they saying? I I really did think in my, like, logic, well, they think I'm dumb. They don't trust me. They're trying to control me. And I would roll my eyes, and I would give them ugly, sarcastic comments. Now, once I thankfully started seeking the Lord about sin in my life, I finally started to understand the motivation behind my parents' comments. And you that are moms out there, you're like thinking this exact thing has happened to you with your kid when you tell them something and they're like, look at you like you're stupid. Uh, That's my students now. It's coming back to bite me in that regard since I don't have children. Uh, So um, I have felt conviction about it. I started putting in steps to treat my parents better. And I have made great improvements since my youth, but on occasion... I can allow frustration or annoyance to get the better of me, which leads to unnecessary words and actions. So through much prayer, sorry, mom, reading the word, reflecting and communicating with my parents, I've learned that their words and their actions towards me are out of love, out of support, out of protection. They don't think I'm stupid. They're not trying to control me. They do trust me. Now, do I always do right by them? No, I can still give my mom attitude or sigh when my dad says the same thing for the hundredth time. So I constantly work on my self-control, not only because my parents really do deserve it because they're great parents, but because the Lord has called me to honor them. And it might sound silly like this particular struggle that I shared with you all, but they all matter. And this isn't the only one that I struggle with. But the word it says, honor your mother and father. So I'm going to strive to follow that command. And I'm grateful. I mean, I'm truly grateful that each time I still falter, my parents forgive me and God forgives me. So that I can keep pushing forward to do right by all of them. Now, Just for a moment here, what happens if we continue to live outside of God's instructions? So we've heard everything tonight. We know what the word says. We put them nicely on the slides for y'all. And you're like, eh, okay, whatever. You just like, I'm going to reject that part of living for Christ. I'll still come on Sunday. I'll still read my Bible. But mm, I'm not really going to deal with the lying that I have a problem with. Or I'm not going to deal with the sexual immorality that I have a problem with. Or I'm not going to deal with um, the division that I'm causing between people. You're rejecting God. We're choosing darkness over light. We will not have peace. We will not have joy. We will not have fullness. And the worst part of it all is we will not spend eternity with him. For the Bible says very clearly, all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And those that are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. God is serious. He loves you, but he's serious. His laws are absolute. We are either obeying him or we're not. So to the person who only looks at the sins of others, God wants you to remember that all are sinners in need of a savior. You too are a sinner. Love others and pray for them. They don't need your judgment or your contempt. To the person who thinks they have no sin in their life, God wants you to know the realities of sin and the role he plays in overcoming it. Self-righteousness is just as dangerous in separating us from God as any other sin. To the person who has been so wounded by the sins of others, God wants you to forgive and heal. We're not defined by the pain others inflicted on us. Our identity comes from Christ. To the person that still holds on to immense guilt and shame from your past sins, God can restore you. You are worthy and called to love others and to advance the gospel. To the person that thinks their current sin is too great and sees no hope of stopping, God can break the attraction or the bondage that sin has on you. He can be trusted to meet your every need. And to the person who has already been mindful of their sin and diligent not to make a practice of it, God wants you to continue pursuing him with passion and focus on fulfilling the Great Commission. For in Christ, we have victory over sin. For in Christ, we have victory over sin. To walk in obedience means that we acknowledge that God is everything that we need. Uh, Let's take a few moments and whatever you need to do, whatever you need to say, whatever the Lord's speaking to you, um, this is your time to do that.
lights went out When death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history They made for sinners For every curse His blood atoned One final breath And it was finished But not the end We could have known For the earth began to shake sacrifice was made as the heavens roared and all hail King Jesus all hail the Lord of heaven and earth all hail King Across eternity, the King of Life was on the move. Hallelujah! For in a dark old tomb, where our Lord was laid, one miraculous
for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jalisha. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a special time spending with all of you, and I look forward to us doing it more. I love y'all a lot. I pray that the Lord gives me my heart for you, his heart for you. 